Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Factory Tour. I'm your host, Paul Patterson. I'm joined today by my friend, Chris Miles. Uh, for podcast listeners, he just waved to the camera, um, but I know you can't hear that. So, Chris, you're going to have to use your words tonight. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, Paul. I guess I'll, you know, hey to the listeners on Spotify. You know, didn't see my wave, but uh, I'm just ready for a good show. Ready to talk about everything that's going on in the NFL. This crazy, crazy year, as we say every year. It's always a crazy year. No such thing as a normal season in the NFL. Um, but this one, of course, uh, is the craziest ever uh, due to recency bias. So week 11. Uh, nope, it's not week 11. Just had week 10. We haven't gotten to week 11 yet. In week 10, we saw the return of one of our favorite players in the NFL, one of our favorite dynasty by candidates of the offseason. And that's Kyler Murray. So let's just start with Kyler right off the top because he is so back. Uh, he didn't have like the most insane game. If you look at the stat sheet, 19 of 32, 249 yards, one interception, uh, no passing touchdowns, but he did add six rushes for 33 yards and a touchdown. But it goes so much further than just the stat line. You know, this is his first game back from an ACL. This is a game that he won after just so many kind of crazy narratives about him sitting out the season, the Cardinals trying to tank, not even wanting to bring him back. Um, you know, all of the jokes we had to suffer through of like, oh, Call of Duty comes out this weekend. But no, Kyler Murray came back. He had that insane scramble play where he basically ran the entire length of the field to get the first down that they needed to lead that game-winning drive. And he embarrassed Arthur Smith with yet another loss, which just is the cherry on top. Uh, so how did you feel seeing Kyler back on the field in Week 10? Yeah, I just thought it was awesome. You know, he he came back. He looked absolutely healthy. It's it's amazing. It's just amazing to me that people legitimately thought he wasn't a good quarterback. And now he comes back and looks great. And I love watching Kyler run. He just the way he looks when he runs, it's like almost funny, but he just nobody can touch him. And he, you know, showed that off on his 90 yard, 10 yard run. And uh wasn't the greatest fantasy day, but it sure showed that he's back and he's ready to start scoring some fantasy points as a high end QB one. Yeah, very excited about Kyler rest of season. Um I had him on a lot of my teams, so he'll be slotting into my starting lineups moving forward. And I mean, the lesson here is just buy injured players, especially injured superstar players. Uh, he had never finished a season below QB six in points per game, multiple 20 plus point per game seasons on his resume and no real reason uh, to believe that he wasn't going to come back and perform well, maybe not immediately following the injury, though he does look very healthy, uh, but just in general, he was always going to get back to form. He's a very young player still. Um, and now, I mean, the Cardinals are pretty well positioned to maybe land Marvin Harrison Jr. if they don't win too many more games this season. We'll see if that's possible, but I can I can dream. Um, but yeah, looking back over the offseason, you know, Kyler's value in August was around 4,800 on keep trade cut. That was That's around guys currently like Saquon Barkley, DK Metcalf, Drake London. Uh, so very, very suppressed value, you know, like skill position players that aren't even real difference makers um, are in that zone. Now he's valued around 5,700. It's a huge rise. He's more so in the like Sam Laporta, TJ Hawkinson, Devin Achain group. I think that's going to continue to rise. Um, that's just one indication of his market value. But you also look at his, you know, startup price. He was going in the, 
early, even late third round of startup drafts after guys like Bryce Young, um, after quarterbacks like help me out. Who else was going ahead of Kyler? That shouldn't have been. Um, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, Dak. I mean, there was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lawrence was way up there. He He's really not lived up to expectations. But yeah, I mean, even somebody like Dak. Um, Deshaun Watson. I, I always would have preferred Kyler, you know, at least in the long run, um, just given the age and the and the rushing ability, the upside that we see from him. Dak having an amazing stretch in his own right. We'll, we'll get to him. But definitely buying into Kyler was a good decision. And you could always weather the storm, you know maybe people were avoiding him because he wasn't going to play to start the season. I, that's definitely a reason that people were avoiding him. We didn't know when he was going to be back, but you can kind of patch this stuff together, right? Like Josh Dobbs was on waivers before the year. If you picked up Josh Dobbs, you could just ride it out. You'd have a top 12 quarterback all season. Then you have Kyler come back and you get to just keep Josh Dobbs. And he's still, you know, he's still putting up crazy fantasy points. So you can find these creative solutions and ultimately it's going to be worthwhile to, have that stud on your team uh, when they do come back. So I think just absolute case in point, something we can always point to when we're, we're talking about buying injured players. Um, it's, it's almost always a good idea because they just gain value over the course of time. And then all they need is one good game when they come back and everybody's like, Oh, right. That was, he is. So he is a really good player. Like he scores fantasy points sometimes. Yeah, I mean, before the Cardinals game this weekend, there were polls, a couple of polls on Twitter of Kyler Murray versus quarterbacks. And it was, you know, like Trevor Lawrence, even Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, like Kyler Murray or them. And the other quarterbacks won all the polls. And then literally four hours later after the game, or sorry, sorry Kyler Murray was losing all the polls. And then after right. the game, he wins all the polls. Like they just, people just needed to see it back. And then they had that quick value adjustment. And when you are buying injured players, the cheapest they're ever going to be is right when they're injured. If you can buy them like that week after, everybody's like, oh my God, worst case scenario, worst case scenario. Because the news is only going to get better. 98% of the time, they're not going to get more injured. You know, sometimes people do need, okay, they need a second surgery or whatever. But, you know, most of the time, they're going to come back. They're going to come on their normal schedule. And there's going to be videos of them. And they're going to get hyped up. And their value will come back. So, especially superstars, like you said, it's, it's always the cheapest right when they get hurt. Yeah, and that obviously didn't work out with somebody like Trey Lance, although he hadn't actually, you know, proven it on the field, which was kind of a little bit different. We yep. knew Kyler was going to be back on the field at some point because he's put up multiple stretches of play that were, you know, putting him in the MVP conversation in past seasons. So it was always a foregone conclusion that he'd be playing again. Even if he did miss the whole season and the Cardinals got the number one pick or something, he would have started for some other team. So uh, never I mean, there's other examples. There's mm-hmm. Saquon, CMC, J.K. Dobbins, yeah. like all these guys got hurt, their value tanked, and when they came back, everybody was happy for them again, and they produced and they gained value. Yeah. Man, J.K. Dobbins, that guy would be top five running back right now, man, if he could have just stayed healthy. Um, yeah, he would be. The I mean, how really many sucks. rushing touchdowns do the Ravens even have? Like 20? Dude. It's ridiculous. Well, that's our next topic, actually. Um, perfect segue is the crazy variance that we're seeing from Lamar Jackson and some other quarterbacks in the league. It's, it has been an unfun experience rostering Lamar Jackson in dynasty the past few weeks to the point that like, I'm sure that less level-headed managers are getting fed up with these performances. And 
I don't know. I don't know if that's something you can capitalize after such a short amount of time, but I want to talk about Lamar and Dak Prescott and how they've had these crazy like half seasons basically. Um, but the, the, the through line of this is when you see something like this happening, you always want to go and just buy into the bad stretch, buy into the player that's running cold because we have a long history with guys like this, like Lamar and Dak of being, you know, at a certain level of production and they're almost certainly going to return to that level of production. Like these are guys in their prime. Um, so when you see something that looks like a, a decline or, a, you know, a player falling off, that's usually just variance. It's usually just the randomness of weekly fantasy football. But if you look at Lamar Jackson, the past three weeks, um, the, the Ravens have scored 30 or more points in three straight games. And Lamar Jackson has accounted for a total of two touchdowns, which is just like, it doesn't even make sense. Gus Edwards has rushed for six touchdowns yep. over the past three games. Um, that is not a distribution that will hold. Like it's just an insane amount of bad luck. Like if those three games happened at different times throughout the season, you wouldn't care. It would just be like, whatever, like this wasn't the Lamar game. It was the Gus Edwards game. But the fact that they've all come in a row is making it really frustrating to the point that people are like benching Lamar Jackson to play other quarterbacks over him. Um, and, and I just wouldn't do that. Like, I'm just going to continue playing him. The offense is firing. Lamar is playing great football. Like they're getting into scoring position. Um, it's just when you work with incredibly small samples and, and three games worth of goal line plays is an incredibly small sample. Things can just be a little bit funky. They can go in a way you don't expect. Um, and you watch every Ravens game. So can you just talk a little bit about, you know, what you're seeing from Lamar? Um, and, you know, obviously I, I know that you're not worried about this stretch of play, but um, maybe just kind of speak to the situation a little bit. Uh, I want to just touch on something I said at the beginning there, like how we can take advantage of this. Uh, it was a week or two ago. I mean, it was a one quarterback league, but I traded Josh Allen for Lamar in a first mm -hmm. just because people, you know, they have that perception. They already have a general negative perception of Lamar coming into the season. So when he hits this cold stretch and you can sell like someone that should be in the same tier as him for like anything on top, you pretty much should. Mm -hmm. But so that's just kind of how you can take advantage of it. Just, you know, move within the same tier, just get something extra added on and do it that way. But yeah, as far as this cold stretch goes, I mean, the Ravens have just been, well, first of all, they've been absolutely killing teams. So we're just running the clock. I mean, we beat the the Lions and the Seahawks 70 to 13 combined right. or whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, that's those things are just going to happen. Um, but right, I think currently the Ravens pass to rush touchdown ratio is 33%, which is the lowest of any team of the past 15 years. It's just, these are things that are just not going to hold up. Lamar is going to throw touchdowns. Mark Andrews is going to catch touchdowns. Say flowers is going to catch touchdowns. Like I'm not worried about it at all. Our team is scoring. Well, we're gaining a lot of offensive yards. Those are all things that are going to stay and the touchdown variance isn't going to stay. So it's just going to swing back to Lamar and he's going to be a 20 point per game player again, easily. Yeah. Yep. I agree with that. Makes perfect sense. Um, it's actually kind of funny if you look at kind of split the season in two parts, weeks one to five, Dak Prescott was averaging 12 and a half points per game. Um, and it's sort of a similar problem to the Ravens where they were just like clobbering teams um, and he wasn't getting the touchdowns. And then Lamar during that first five games averaging 21.2 points per game. So he was, you know, very, very solid. 
week six to 10, it's totally flipped. We have Dak averaging 30 points per game, which is just crazy over that stretch. Um, and Lamar down at 18.8. Uh, so, you know, still very still too. That's like, that's such yeah, a that's, good number. That's still fine. Like that's still like QB one territory, not the end of the world. Um, he's, he's going to have a floor because of the rushing, like the game that he played this past week felt like watching it every time he came on and like seeing the touchdowns, I was like, this dude didn't score any fantasy points this week. And then I go and check and he has like 15 and I'm like, okay, like I can live with that. Right. It's not what you yeah. want, but it's not going to sink you. Um, and he's rarely going to do that because he does run and the offense does score so many points. They get yards. So yeah, I don't need, we don't need to dwell on it too long. I just thought it was interesting seeing how they've had both had these like five game stretches where it's definitely affected their perceptions a little bit. I think Dak more so because his height as an elite asset, like just isn't as high. And so it's easier for people to get a little shaken, but like I was able to buy Dak in a league, I guess about five weeks ago, right before this, this stretch um, for a late first and uh, a late second and two, two Atwell, I think was the, was the package. Um, and it was like, at the time, you know, the manager was just fed up. They didn't want to play him anymore because he just wasn't scoring. Um, and I was just trying to take the long view and, and that's obviously worked out. And you can try to do the same thing when you, whenever you see something like this going on, just trust the longer sample um, and, and try not to freak out. Yeah. As long as it makes sense, like, you know, you got to look at how the touchdowns were being scored. How's the team's actually doing, you know, there could be reasons for why Dak isn't producing as well, but you know, we saw, a lot of defensive touchdowns, a lot of rushing touchdowns, a lot of blowing out games. You know, those are the things you need to look for beyond just the fantasy point scored to figure out if it's real or not. And when you can look at that and see those things and can, like you said, combine it with the history of them scoring, it's just, it should be one plus one equals two right there. Yeah. The context is key. That, that's a good point. You want to look at the context. Um, but more often than not, there, there will be something there that you could find to kind of explain away what the weirdness is the Cowboys have, have actually gone more pass heavy since their bye week, um, which has helped, but it's also just Dak bouncing back in terms of touchdown regression. Um, just he's finally, you know, putting passes into the end zone and uh, that, that does score fantasy points. So don't react to overreact to variance. We have a couple more quarterbacks uh, I want to discuss here, and then we're going to do a little bit of an open-ended conversation about tight ends. See where the landscape is shifted to in recent weeks with some breakouts can maybe talk a little bit about Kyle Pitts so we can all get in our feels about that. But um, first I want to talk about a trade that I made this past week before week 10 that uh, happened in the league. Chris is in, it's actually a, it's a DFF league. It's a dynasty best ball that, uh, that I started up because a lot of them hadn't played dynasty best ball. And in this league, I'm currently the third seed and I actually made a trade with the second seed I sent him Sam Howell and a 2025 second for Will Levis, uh, Billy Jeans, as they're calling him now. The Mayo boy. The Mayo man. Yeah. You know who he is. Um, Chris, what was your immediate reaction upon seeing this trade? And what do you think about it now? Uh, my immediate reaction was, what does Paul know that we don't? <laughs> He's trying to trade. Like, does he know Sam Howell? Did he call the Philadelphia police department and Sam Howell's being framed for murder? Oh but um, no, it's just, I think that really it's just, I think that Sam Howell and Will Levis are in similar tiers in dynasty right now. Um, I think Will Levis has more safe future, but 
Will Howell, uh, Sam Howell's performing really well. And Will Levis did have that pop-off game. And, you know, we don't want to get caught, you know, behind on these rookies when they come in and immediately look really good. We want to, you know, try to get them for a cheap price while we can. It's just I think that the market was still pretty even on Levis and Howell. So I didn't see that 25 second really being a necessary addition. I think it's bleeding market value. And while I do like making trades that look into the future and, you know, want to be ahead of the curve at the same time, I don't want to bleed market value. So that's the main reason I didn't like it was just because I thought the 25 second was too much. I thought you probably could have done it with a third or, you know, it's a best ball league. So you don't really want to get rid of a player, but maybe a lower producing player. Mm. It's just that, 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 that was my really only take on it. And I think that that is all very fair criticism. Um, I've thought about it a lot. I mean, I make a lot of trades, and so I try not to like dwell too deeply on any one of them, but I do want to make sure that my process is sound and that I'm making logical decisions. In this case, this might be one where I jumped the gun a little bit. This trade was offered to me, um, and honestly, I, I didn't even think about it that long before I hit accept um, because I was really feeling a little bit of FOMO on Will Levis, where I only roster him in one league, or two now, but one at the time. Um, I had just been listening to podcasts all week. People I respect, people I trust talking about how, uh, you know, he looked really good in that game and, you know, we're moving him way up the rankings and, you know, there could be star potential here. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, how do I get another, you know, my hands on another share of Will Levis? And this offer comes through and I'm like, this seems fair enough. And I had been nervous about Sam Howell. Like the, the sacks were, were really starting to become a problem. Um, there was sort of sentiment before that last Eagles game that maybe he was going to get benched and they were done with him. And I don't, you know, that's not substantiated at all. And it obviously didn't end up being the case. He played really well against the Eagles and, and he's played really well since um, Sachs have even come down a little bit. So, you know, I think if I had waited one more week, I, I certainly wouldn't have made the trade. Um, but that being said, I, I was looking at Levis as just, like you said, kind of a safer investment. And the reason I think that, is number one the draft capital uh there there is a gap in the draft capital between them and i I don't think it's insignificant you know as a fifth round pick that's very different for sam howell than will levis who was the second pick in the second round um you know you look at the titans they're not going to be in position to draft one of the like top three quarterbacks in this draft um i'm almost certain that they're going to roll with will levis next year and i'm becoming more and more certain that the commanders will play sam howell next year as well but you also want to look at the teams. Um, I don't think Mike Rabel is getting fired. I do think there's a good chance that we see Ron Rivera fired this season. When you have coaching turnover with these quarterbacks that are you know, not highly invested in, it's not hard for teams to go and make other decisions and, and try to pivot off of them. Um, and that's really on the margins. Like I said, I, I don't think he's going to get replaced, but at least it's sort of there in my mind. And then the final factor is just the rookie versus year two factor which which i think does matter i think as a rookie levis does have more potential for growth uh, both like as an actual player and as a dynasty asset i think people are like less firm in their priors because he's so new to the league um whereas howell you know being a year two player he has to do a little bit more to change per- perception of him and i've seen this in action because i rostered howell all season and i was trying to flip him week three week four week five and and despite the fact that he was scoring like a QB one, nobody wanted to pay up for him. And then Will Levis has this one game and his market value is, you know, almost matching that of Sam Howell. And yep. so I was seeing this kind of rocket ship potential. I think I got um, like definitely got, I saw stars in my eyes and uh, got a little over my skis. 
But my I biggest I go ahead, yeah, sorry. I was gonna say my la- my final and largest regret on the trade is honestly just losing the points um because he is scoring like bananas amounts of points right now and i probably could use that and now that i do view them kind of in the same tier i would just rather have the one that's scoring more right now yeah i do think um in favor of your trade at least like will levis let's say they're both worth late first right now i think that's pretty fair um will levis will almost definitely not be worth less than a late first the end of the season and he has a strong there's a possibility that he's worth, you know, multiple firsts by the end of the season if he, you know, plays well. Whereas right. Sam Howell, even if he continues at this rate, I don't think he could ever be really be worth multiple firsts at the end of this season. And if he falls off and, you know, it's still possible, absolutely possible that he gets benched, he could drop to a second or, you know, second in value. So I think that Will Levis just having – the higher floor and higher ceiling like it makes sense to go after that mm-hmm. and i think that have valuing what levis over Howell also makes sense i just you know it comes back to the second it's whatever but i think that the process of getting levis for Howell from the start there makes sense yeah well i appreciate that um it's it's definitely something that's going to sound weird i think to some listeners and i know that because <clears throat> i was having a conversation in the uh, bulletproof discord just during the games on Sunday. Um, and these are like pretty sharp people in there. Uh, you know, in my opinion, and a lot of them just don't really see it with Levis that they're not really interested. And I kind of brought up the trade and some people were pretty like strongly against it. Um, and so I think the idea that like Levis has the higher floor and the higher ceiling is kind of crazy to them. They'd probably say like, look at what Howell has done so far. Like, how can you say Levis has the higher ceiling? And and I don't think we really mean fantasy ceiling. I think we just mean his value ceiling. Like, right. It's about what you can actually do with these players. Right. You know, Sam Howell, like you said, it was hard to move Sam Howell. I am in a league where I was trying to do a teardown and I had Sam Howell where draft order is based on max points for. I was trying to get rid of Sam Howell because he's scoring so many points and people just don't want to pay. I couldn't get a first for him to save my life. Whereas Will Levis, there were active trades made for him for a first this past week. So, you know, I think that stuff can continue. And Will Levis, <laughs> for those My of you on the Spotify, Paul's cat just blocked the camera completely. Yeah, but, let me um, fix that real quick. Hold on. <laughs> but anyway, Will Levis, like, I just think that, yeah, I think he's more tradable asset. I think Sam Howell's a less tradable asset. And it's like that that continues. You can actually extract that value out of Will Levis and you're less likely to out of Howell. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, How Levis, like who knows really what's going to happen with him if he, if he has this incredible ceiling, but I'm always okay to lose a trade. um, When I think that I understand the range of outcomes on that trade, like it's not even really about Levis. It's more about, okay, I have this quarterback and this is what I know about him. And so this is what I think is possible. And so I look at the trade and it's like, okay, I'm trading. This was difficult because like it's a different player and they also have a range of outcomes. But let's just say it's a pick, right? If I trade a late first for Will Levis and I'm almost certain that he's going to be the starter next year. So throughout the offseason, I'm going to be able to trade this guy in most spots for an early second, maybe at worst a mid-second. Um, so, you know, the, the range of outcomes on the low end, it's pretty low risk. If I'm saying I can take an asset, 
I, maybe, maybe, but let's just be conservative here. Like if I'm, I'm willing to take a trade where I'm giving up a late first and I, and I might only ever be able to get an early second or a mid second in return. Yeah. If you can look at the other side of the spectrum and say, okay, well, what do I get if I win? Right. And if I win, if Will Levis is that guy, like if he can be something like what we saw in that first game where he was just making insane throws um, that, that very few quarterbacks can make, well, then I have a player who's worth two, two and a half firsts, right? I have a guy that's kind of in the vein of a Justin Herbert, um, which is very, very valuable. And it, it's, it's just an uneven distribution of outcomes. And I'm always going to make that trade when the upside outweighs the downside so heavily. And it does help to be in leagues where the trade market is active and you can actually make these types of deals. Because one thing that was brought up in the Bulletproof Discord was like, hey, I play in leagues where, you know, the managers all have their opinions about players. And like, if they don't like a guy, they're just not going to trade for him. And so if I buy Will Levis, like I could just be stuck with him and it doesn't matter, you know, what happens with his market value. Like if he doesn't do well, I'm not just going to be able to trade him for a second. And that's, that's fair. You have to know your league. If that's the case and you know, you're not going to be able to get rid of him, even if you're even selling him, you know, cheap, then I, I understand being a little bit more risk averse in that type of a situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And obviously that DFF league, it's a bunch of us analysts and, you know, we are more prone to trading or at least more open to trading than most leagues. So it, it makes sense to do it there. Yeah. But if your league is fairly liquid, if you can actually count on managers to buy and sell players um, and you, you know, you know, you have a lot of different managers that you can talk to that are open to negotiating. I'm I'm always going to be looking to make those types of deals where there's just an asymmetrical upside in the outcome. Now, in this case, I probably jumped the gun because Howell has plenty of upside in his own right. He's scoring as a QB1. I could use a, that QB1 on my team. Um, so if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have hit accept. But that being said, I, I'm not super concerned about the trade. I still think Levis and Howell are pretty much in the same tier. So like burning a 25 second, not ideal but I have a good team. I think it'll be fine. I've certainly made worse trades this year um, and I'll probably make worse trades before the year is out. So got to have a short memory. You got to be like a, uh, like a cornerback who gets burned for a deep touchdown. You got to have a short memory. You got to just move on. You can't just keep thinking about that time in August where you traded Sam Laporta for Pat Fryermuth. Uh, you can't, can't be doing that. I mean, let's be real, too. If this last weekend, Will Levis had a 22-point game and Sam Howell had a 12-point game, we'd be viewing this completely differently, I think. so. Right. It, that's that's also the thing. When you talk about a player with a small sample of games, like every new data point is going to move things so dramatically. Um, yeah. So we don't really know where this will stand a couple weeks from now. Yeah. But, but if I was a betting man, and I play fantasy football, so I, I basically am, um, I would say Sam Howell outscores Will Levis rest of season pretty comfortably. So I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, but that's okay. Process over results. Can't win them all. Maybe I'll win this trade. Maybe I won't. It probably won't affect my odds of winning a championship very widely either way. And that's the big picture. So let's uh, got to keep that in focus as well. Um, and, and Chris is not going to be winning the championship in that league. Oh, so. I'm, I'm there for it. I'm there for it. <laughs> I picked up Gerald Everett and um, Logan Thomas. It's it's over. Oh, okay. Never mind. I forgot he got two new uh, tight ends there in his uh, tight end room, so he's all set. Uh, I did actually buy TJ Hawkinson in that league last week. My first ever share of TJ Hawkinson. Well, I may have rostered him a few years ago. I don't know. First one in a while, and uh, 
it felt good. It felt good having him on my team when he scored 34 fantasy points. So I get what all those people this offseason were, were talking about when they were drafting him in the third round of startups, and I was making fun of them. <laughs> Look, we get things wrong on this show sometimes, and uh, and if you don't like it, there's the door. But we just try to process the information that comes our way. And in the case of TJ Hawkinson, I did not think that the Vikings were going to continue to lead the NFL in pass attempts. I did not think the best wide receiver in football would get injured. Um, things happen. And, you know, I thought T Kyle Pitts might one day score fantasy points, and that's clearly not going to happen. So we have to shake up the tight end position. We got to look at it differently. We have to just start from scratch, make some new tight end tiers. Chris, who is the tight end one in Dynasty? Oh, this is such a difficult <laughs> question to answer. I really, I don't have a great answer right now. Um, it's hard for me to not say Mark Andrews, but Sam Laporta and, I mean, honestly, even Tom Kincaid are knocking on that door right now. I think if you have any of those three, honestly, if you have any of them, TJ Hawkinson, Kelsey, if you want for the production, like any of those five, I think is a, has a fair argument to be tight end one. I think I would pick Mark Andrews though right now. So it's not Kyle Pitts. No, it's definitely not Kyle Pitts. Man. Man, we were wrong. We were we were dead wrong. Um No, Arthur Smith was wrong. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Kyle Pitts in a bit. We'll we'll start with these these other names. Um Mark Andrews. Yeah, I mean, he's the tried and true. He is the the safe answer for sure. Um, I think I think he's probably still the right answer. But man, I just I can't fault anybody if they prefer Sam Laporta, if they prefer Mark Andrew or uh, Dalton Kincaid. I, I can't really blame anybody just because you're talking about like a five or six year age difference. Um, they both play in offenses that are are typically going to throw the ball more than the Ravens do, um, and that matters for tight ends. You look at T.J. Hawkinson; like his whole career is just built on absurd passing volume because most tight ends aren't getting down the field and catching deep passes. They need to get a lot of targets to turn those into receptions. Tight end premium is totally based on, you know, bonus per reception. So when you can be in these offenses that are going to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game, you know, with a quality quarterback, that's really appealing. And when those players are already producing as rookies, which doesn't happen, you know, they're whatever, 22, 23 years old, um, these guys are just, they're just rocket ships. And I think all three of them are in a tier together. And I guess the question is, is anyone else in that tier? Is TJ Hawkinson in that tier? I think TJ Hawkinson and Travis Kelsey are honestly both in that tier. I think that it's similar to the argument that a lot of people are making these days now, with like CMC RB one and dynasty with Travis Kelsey, mm -hmm. just because the production is so different than everybody else. And it's the position of a uh, position of scarcity and, even though these other guys are playing very well, you know, especially considering their rookies and everything, Travis Kelsey is still just blowing them out of the water in points per game. So I, I think Kelsey's fair. I think any of these five, honestly, all it's a tier of five. Yeah. I mean, if you look at points per game for the full season, you know, Kelsey's at 17.6. That's in just regular non titan premium. Um, Andrews at 14.5 is three full points per game below him. When you look at the full season, Sam Laporta, 13, Dalton Kincaid, 11, Trey McBride, 8. Um, but even if you narrow that range down to like week six and on when those guys, you know, started heating up, um, you've still got Kelsey well ahead of the field 
Dalton Kincaid actually has had 17 points per game over the last five weeks, which is which is pretty crazy. Um, but nobody else is even touching Kelsey's production in that time span. So he is a huge cheat code. I think I'd have him behind those guys. I just I have a hard time putting so much of my eggs in one basket when I know that like no one player can really move your odds that much. And if and if anybody can, like he he's one of the probably the biggest um advantage that you can have. So I, I can't blame anybody if they want to just take him as the first guy, but I would have a hard time sending these young tight ends that I know I'm gonna get, you know, a you know, handful of years out, like a dozen years out of whatever, um for Kelsey. Yeah, you wouldn't really see me, me drafting him as the first tight end in a startup. I honestly think I'd probably take TJ Hawkinson over him right now just because eight year difference and I mean, it's not similar production, but TJ Hawkinson is giving you an advantage over anybody that's not in the top six. So it's, it, it's probably worth it. Yeah. Um, exactly. And like, if you have Hawkinson, like, like you said, you have an advantage over almost anybody else. And like, what are the odds that you actually end up in the, like playing the Kelsey manager in the playoffs? Like it's not a, a guarantee that you do. And the fact that Kelsey might score four or five more points than TJ Hawkinson, like, that's probably not going to be the difference in your matchup. So I, I think Kelsey's below those guys for me. Um, Hawkinson also is only one point per game behind him for the year now, at least in non-Titan premium. Um, he's probably, he might actually be closer in Titan premium because he has so many receptions. He might actually be the D Titan one in points per game right now. I'm not sure, but um, I'm looking at the utilization report on fantasy life. And that does not, that just does regular PPR. So, yeah, I think these guys, I mean, they're they're all they're all right there. Kincaid, Laporta, Andrews, Hawkinson. Um, those four guys are just at the top for me. And I have no idea what order they're supposed to be in. It seemed like Laporta was the clear tight end one in the class. Kincaid's really come on since Dawson Knox has been out. So it's really tight between the two of them. You look over the past four weeks, it's uh, it's clearly been even the last five weeks, clearly been Kincaid. He's had the higher target share. He's had the higher points per game. Um, he plays with Josh Allen, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I do think with someone like Kelsey, it's a guy you go and buy as that, like, final piece to put your championship roster over the edge. Like you said, it's not the guy you draft first in a startup. You draft him in a startup, you really lock yourself into a certain type of strategy. You know, can't really let the board fall to you. Um, so I would always be leading more towards those younger guys. You're going to have a lot more flexibility because anybody's going to want them on their team. Yeah. And it's even just that, like, I'd rather have Hawkinson and Andrews, even if I am, you know, going for that contender build, just because while they're not rookies, they're still much younger. And like we said, you know, those three or four points difference in a championship, that's not, that's not breaking your matchup. But I think yeah. if I had to pick a guy to come after Andrews for me, I think I would take Kincaid over Laporta. I'd probably take Kincaid, Laporta, Hawkinson in that order after Andrews. I think that's fair. I don't have a better I don't have a better answer to the test, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. Um, and then would you say so? Would you still keep Kelsey in that tier, or would you take him like a half step below? Well, so if we look at it, I'd probably take Andrews, Laporta, Kincaid, like early, mid, second in a start in a tight end premium startup. 
I'd probably take Hawkinson late second. And then I'd probably be looking at Kelsey probably mid to late third. So yeah, I guess it's like a half tier maybe between them. Okay. Okay. That can make, that can make sense. Now there's some other tight ends that have sort of, or at least there's one other tight end that's kind of entered the conversation uh, over the past handful of weeks. And that's Trey McBride. And with McBride, it's interesting because he's not a rookie. He played last year and he was decidedly not good. Um, Zach Ertz, is i mean a shell of himself he was a shell of himself last year and yet he kept trey mcbride off the field he commanded targets where kincaid did uh mcbride did not but since Ertz has been on ir uh trey mcbride has just been frankly ridiculous with the he's volume been insane. like yeah he's yeah. Been actually insane yeah i mean you look at like just this is kind of an arbitrary cutoff but just playing around with some of the the filters here on this utilization like since week four he's had a 30 percent targets per outrun like he's he's just insanely efficient when he's on the field um you know he's up over a 20 percent target share he's actually been able to make some big plays like have some deep receptions and he he's played one game with kyler murray now um and that one he had a 30 percent target share and he scored 21 PPR points. We know Kyler used Zach Ertz. He's a pretty friendly quarterback for the tight end, to be honest with you. Um, is is T- Could Trey McBride just be TJ Hawkinson West? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at these dynasty tight end rankings on Fantasy Calc, and I see George Kittle ahead of Kyle Pitts and Trey McBride. And, I mean, honestly, at this point, I think I'm just going to take Trey McBride over both of them. I don't understand why George Kittle's that high, but I mean, Trey McBride has just been absolutely killing it. And he's going to be, he's right on that Kincaid Laporta swing. Like you said, he's not a rookie. It's very abnormal for these rookies tight ends to be doing as good as these guys are. So the fact that McBride is doing it in year two really isn't a negative on his profile or anything. I mean, if we just see like maybe two more weeks of this production, he, absolutely should be market value right next to Kincaid and Laporta. Yeah. So I guess the question is like, do you try to pivot? Do you try to get in on him now? Like of the, all the tight ends we've talked about, he might be the biggest buy just because his market value could still be lagging behind these other guys um, where you can get your foot in the door. You know, if you can trade like a George Kittle for him, even with a a small plus, I would love to do that. Um, Yeah. You, you said Trey McBride over both of them. So you mean Trey McBride over George Kittle and over Kyle Pitts. Don't make me say it again. I, I, I'm going to need you to say it again. Can you can you say very loudly into the microphone that you would rather have Trey McBride in Dynasty than Kyle Pitts? I'd rather have Trey McBride than Kyle Pitts. I don't think I can say it. I don't think I can say it. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I have Kyle Pitts in 33% of my Dynasty leagues, and I will be sending that offer in 0% of them because um i am so down bad for kyle pitts and i i refuse uh to capitulate i will go down with the ship okay yeah well that's real quick i just want to talk about like so in tight end premium what are we what are we sending in pick value for like laporta kincaid if we're trying to buy them is it like two first two two mid first are we there yet i think yeah i mean i think they're definitely worth it's it's hard to say like if they're I would definitely send two late first for either of them. If they're, or like a mid first and a late first, I think that's fine. Um, if you're talking about like two mid first in this class, like you have 105 and 107, I, I think that's probably a little bit rich for me. Like I, I'd rather just hold off because there's going to be some insane prospects in this class. Um, you might be able to 
do something else with those picks that I like better. But yeah, I mean, two random firsts, I, I think that's probably right about okay. where they should be valued at this point. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, we're talking about these guys as tight end one in Dynasty, so I think it makes sense, even though we do kind of see a deeper elite tier where it used to just be like Kelsey Andrews and like that was it. Now we, you know, we have this five deep tier one. But um, so after saying that, what are we, if we're trying to buy McBride, what's our aggressive offer? Are we sending? Like, I mean, I think, I think the aggressive offer at this point is you send a late first. Like, I think, I think that that's still, I think that can still sway some people. Um, so like, if you are a contender and you're, you know, pushing, trying to push into the the championship, maybe you're starting somebody like, I don't Hayden know, Hurst. Johnny Smith or something, or you're yeah. starting, or you lost Dallas yeah. daughter or, or you bought Darren Kyle Waller. Pitts. You bought Kyle Pitts at the beginning of the year thinking like, this is perfect. I can have my tight end one and he'll also, you know, be a young ascending asset. And then you've just sort of like survived through the season. Um, and now you're looking for a real tight end that you can play. Uh, maybe you go trade for Trey McBride, send a late first for him. I think that's totally fair. I think he's earned that from what we've seen so far. There's just so few tight ends at the position, like, so a few tight ends that can command that kind of volume. Um, and he's he's clearly proving himself to be one of them. He's tied to a a young star quarterback, which we love. So yep. and if even if he loses that star quarterback, he's gonna get Caleb Williams or Drake May. So it's fine either way. Um yeah. let's say you send that late first for McBride and the guy counters late first, late second for McBride. Are you accepting that? Um, yeah, I, I lean, I lean towards accepting that. Yeah. I, I think I've seen enough to be sure that this is real. Um, I agree. I would accept that as well. Yeah. Now, what if you roster Kyle Pitts and somebody sends you late one, late two for Kyle Pitts? Are, are you accepting that? <laughs> um, I, I don't think so because the is no. The answer is no, because why would I trade Kyle Pitts for picks? I they're both doing you know future value basically for me. Um, if I'm doing that, I if I'm selling Kyle Pitts, I'm buying points. I'm buying Kincaid or Laporta or Andrews. Okay. Good answer. Or something. That's a good answer. Yeah, you don't need to trade Kyle Pitts for draft picks because, like draft picks, he is his value is entirely theoretical um, and not at all rooted in reality. So. You don't need to trade, you know, a one like, like asset Bitcoin. for another. Yeah. Kyle Pitts is like Bitcoin. Didn't we say that before, but like in a different way? And now we're I think we said that. it in the exact yeah. opposite way. In the exact opposite way. Now he's Bitcoin <laughs> in the other way. He <laughs> Kyle Pitts is is Bitcoin circa 2021. It's it's on the way down and it's just gonna keep going down for a really long time. But maybe one day it'll go back up. Yeah. Uh, but not nearly as high as we hoped. So it's it's really just like Bitcoin in that sense. Yeah, also looking at these tight end rankings, it just really drops off after, honestly, right after Trey McBride. I mean, yeah, where do you even go next? Like Evan Ingram, George Kittle. On Fantasy Calc, the next tight end you hit is Dallas Goddard, Jake Ferguson, Cole Komet. Cole Komet. That is such a steep drop from guys where we're talking about contending for tight end one or two overall. Yeah. To hit a guy that's out for half of the rest of the season, Jake Ferguson, Cole Komet, like, I just, wow, that is such a drop. Yeah, this this is why those guys are so valuable is because there's not a lot of them. Um, and, and, and it does dry up really fast. And the only other guys that are scoring points are like these older tight ends that have like no ceiling. Evan Ingram, um, 
Dalton Schultz, you know, it's like David and Joku. What do we want these guys for? Yeah. Taysom Hill. Taysom freaking Hill. Oh my gosh. Taysom Hill outscoring Kyle Pitts is just like my, my Joker origin story. I think, um, we've, we've made a lot of like satirical comments about Kyle Pitts. Let me just talk about the reality of the situation for a second, because I think he's just a really important, I mean, he's an important dynasty asset for this show because we both roster him a lot and we've talked about him before. And we went out of our way to tell people to, to go get him because he was the truth. Um, and, and maybe he's not, I'm not sure, but this season he just hasn't been what we thought. And it's not just that the offense has been bad. Like the offense has been weird. The utilization I think is poor. Um, but his target share has only been 19% on the season. Last year, he was 27%, right? He wasn't scoring the points last year, but he was getting those peripheral numbers that we want to see. 20% targets per outrun of this year, 19% target share. He still has a 30% air yard share, which is cool. Like he, he's still getting those downfield looks that make him so appealing. Um, but it's not the volume that we're hoping for. And, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because of the way they deploy Johnny Smith. They're not using Kyle Pitts in certain situations where he would get like easy looks. Like they don't drop three tight end screens for him per game. Like they yeah, I mean, Johnny, Johnny Smith. Smith is out snapping, out, out snapping him and running more routes than him. Cause at first when I saw Johnny Smith out snapping him, like, okay, well, if Johnny Smith's out there blocking and Kyle Pitts is running routes, I don't care. Right. But Johnny Smith is also running more routes than Kyle Pitts. I think he has a top, a, Equal, it's at least equal or a higher targets per route run than Kyle Pitts. Like honestly, Johnny Smith is just outperforming Kyle Pitts, and that's where yeah. we're kind of faltering in the case because right. the case is always Kyle Pitts is supremely talented. You know, it'll come eventually, but this year the Kyle Pitts peripherals are just not what they have been thus far in his career. Right, and now I'm just inclined. I'm still slow to adjust here because we've seen two seasons of Kyle Pitts having those great peripheral numbers. Mm -hmm. and underperforming them in an offense that just wasn't a real NFL offense. Yep. Um, he had that insane rookie season. Like he, he had a, a rookie season as good as Kincaid and Laporte are having right now. Like he had a thousand receiving yards. Like he was crazy. Um, then last year, his, his volume earning numbers were even better. They were like among the best in the league. So, you know, maybe that just doesn't scale as the passing volume grows, but I, I don't think a decline this sharp is explainable just through that. So my thought is that he's still just not recovered from the injury. Um, maybe that's just fully 100% cope, but yeah, it's just, but like he's 22 years old and he's an athletic freak and he had like the best volume earning profile of any tight end like that we've seen over two seasons, I just, it's hard for me to say that he's just completely lost it. Um, so I, I don't think that's the case. And I'm not certainly not saying that he needs to be ranked ahead of these other guys we talked about. Like we have to be realistic. We have to adjust. We don't know when improvement will come, but I'm not just going to sell him off for whatever. Um, it's, it, there's just, I still have enough belief in his profile and like what his potential upside is. And we already, we just talked about how steep the decline is at tight end, how there's like, very, very few tight ends that you really want to get excited about. Um, at this point, it's a sunk cost. I'm, I'm just going to hold on to him and treat him like a draft pick, treat him like a, a lottery ticket. Yeah. And even after we've said all this, um, if I'm tanking, I'm buying Kyle Pitts, but uh, you know, we just, it, you just got to do it. You have to. 
if you're tanking, I think it makes sense to send out an offer. It just depends what you have to give up, right? Like you're not yeah. going to send an early first for him at this point. Right. Um, but like, I'd still rather have him than a late first, like a late first already has like a questionable payoff. What, you know, whether that player is going to hit or not. And in terms of what you can trade a late first for, it's usually not somebody with, you know, league winning upside. So when you can get a tight end, like Kyle Pitts with his, his past history, if you can get somebody like that for a late first, I still think that's a worthwhile investment. Um, and for some people that are just like totally over this whole ridiculous ordeal, that probably sounds stupid. It's like, just give it up. Um, but, but I honestly still think that's the right process with a guy like this. I think if Arthur Smith were to get fired, things would get better. I think he might just get better naturally due to health, but it, it just the way that he's being used is not conducive to a high target share. He's being used like a wide receiver, basically, um, in an offense where you have these quarterbacks who are pretty limited in what they're able to do, and they're checking it down a lot to the running backs. They're throwing these design screens. It is going to artificially deflate the volume for Pitts when they're not really drawing up plays for him specifically. So I don't know. I need to look into it further, but I'm still holding on. Um, just try to make other plans, I guess. Like go buy one of those gross old tight ends that you can start and uh, – you know, make it work. I tried to buy bought Darren Waller in one league where I, I was like a high end playoff team and I had Kyle Pitts. So I was like, I'll just buy Waller. He's had three great games in a row. I'll just use him the rest of the year. Keep Kyle Pitts on the bench. Freaking goes on IR immediately afterward. So that didn't really yeah. work out for me, but hear me out. Galaxy brain cope. The chiefs win the super bowl. Travis Kelsey <laughs> retires with a ring and they trade for Kyle Pitts. What, what happens then? You I know, mean, Kalpitz tight end one for the next 10 years. Sounds like a lock to me. I, um, get this yeah. man on a different team. Yeah. I mean, that would team. be, that would be ridiculous. I, I definitely don't want to project that, but, uh, but if that were to happen, then we'd be right back in. We'd be right back in. And no, can, but realistically, like if you, you know, if we're on a tanking team and you know, you're targeting Kyle Pitts, you just have to send points. You got you to give the team points. You got to give them points at the tight end position. You got to give them, if they have another position in need, you got to give them some supplement there. But if you can send, like Paul said, a late first in terms of value or like a late first and like a mid-second worth of value in production, you should be able to pry Kyle Pitts off his owner at this point if he's contending. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, like we said, that's really all the cool tight ends, all the, all the good ones. Um, but there are some other tight ends down the board that are maybe worth discussing. You know, Michael Mayer was right there in that tier with Sam Laporta and Dalton Kincaid before the draft or during the rookie draft. Obviously not there now based on what he's done so far, but he certainly flashed a little bit. Do you think that's also a guy we maybe want to buy in on where we could see something like what we've seen from Kincaid and Laporta just slightly delayed? Maybe he has the McBride season next year. Is that maybe a guy you want to go get if you missed out on all these breakouts so far? Yeah, that's certainly a guy I'm open to buying. Um, I don't really know what – I haven't tried to trade for him. I haven't seen any trades for him. Uh, Fantasy Calc is showing him dead even to a mid-second. I think that's fair. I don't really know – like, that's that's a fair value. So if I can get him for less than that, I would definitely do that. I don't know if I'd trade a straight-up mid-second for him, though. Um yeah. But he is certainly a candidate to have that, like like you said, Trey McBride type, where he doesn't really he just flashes up a little bit. Maybe he doesn't have a great season, and then next year, you know, 
he's primed for the opportunity and does better because he certainly was a good prospect. I mean, there were plenty of people that had him tight end one in the class before the draft. Yeah. So I think that and he's, he's a good by guy far in the most uh, dysfunctional offense of the three. So it's like yeah. not really hard to imagine that that's holding him back a little bit. But I, I think one of the, maybe a move with him because you can't really start him is to take one of these uh, less exciting veteran tight ends and just flip him for Michael Mayer, like which which is hard to stomach if you're using that tight end and you're competing. But like, it just would be it would be very easy for me to trade Dalton Schultz or Cole Komet for Michael Mayer. Like I I wouldn't really have any trouble doing that because I don't see those guys as having that exciting upside. Like they're never going to be worth more than a like they're never going to be worth a first, let alone like two firsts or whatever. But like Michael Mayer has that potential. Yep. Um, where he can gain that value and, and a Schultz or a, a Comet or a Ferguson, like those aren't guys that are giving you irreplaceable production. It feels great to have them in your lineup because you know, they're not going to give you like a goose egg, but it's also not something that's insurmountable. Like, you can go buy Cade Otten or John U. Smith for like basically nothing and get most of the same production. Um, Gerald Everett or Logan Thomas. Yeah, not Gerald Everett. That guy sucks. But um huge catch touchdowns, maybe. Logan Thomas, maybe. Yeah. Like there's ways you can replace that. It's not gonna sink you. And I think it's nice to be able to pick up that extra value. But maybe you have two of those tight ends on your team and, and you can just consolidate to one producer and one kind of nest egg tight end where you're just trying to gain a little bit of value, maybe find yourself that breakout star. You want to keep taking those shots. We were taking those shots on Greg Dulcich this offseason. They haven't panned out yet, but really only due to injury. And that's another guy that I, I really, really want to be uh, honing in on and trying to trying to just snatch him up from people because he is so far an afterthought that I just, I like, you could probably get him for like a third round pick in some leagues. And I would gladly trade that. Yep. I agree with all that. And I think I mean, he is worth about a third round pick. He's, he's on keep trade cut. He's behind Chigakonkwo which is crazy because all Greg Dulcich has done is just be hurt. And what Chica Conquo has done is be like actively offensive to the sport of football on the field this year. Um, that might be a little bit extreme, but he has not been good. He's been on the field and not scoring fantasy points. That's a little bit different uh, than Greg Dulcich. Kate Otten is also like a guy who has some value now that I don't really think is anything but if you can trade kate otten for like a greg dulcich or trick kate otten plus for michael Mayer, i would love to turn him into something where there's actually some semblance of a ceiling yeah fantasy calc has greg dulcich about that even with a late 24 third so that's perfectly reasonable price to go buy somebody with some upside yeah i'm gonna go send us more offers today because i need some more dulcich in my life i think i'm gonna send some for mcbride um yeah and mcbride we'll go trade for mcbride i think luke musgrave even uh is worth buying you know that that packers offense also sucks and jordan love sucks but luke musgrave has definitely flashed he's he's flashed some upside he's made some big plays he's he's athletic um he seems like another breakout candidate for next season where you want to get in early and just try to save your seat while you can before the uh before the ship takes off all right paul we've talked about tight ends can we please talk about my most owned dynasty <laughs> player currently? Uh, yes. The last player on the show sheet. Um, yeah. So I think we, we handled the tight end discussion. Uh, that's, that's pretty much it. I, it was very long and winding and hopefully some of it was actionable, but we needed to sort through some stuff. So we might as well do it on air. Um, the last player on the show sheet 
Chris, who who is it? He is Ravens running back Keaton him Mitchell. Keaton him Mitchell. And um, he is him. He is him. Tell us As about evidenced by his multiple long touchdown runs the last two weeks. The man is Devon Achan in the charm city. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, um, other than, you know, the fact that he was undrafted and had a way worse college profile than Devon Achan. But other than that, definitely the same guy. No, he's been really excited in the past couple of weeks. One of my biggest whiffs of the season, like I'm usually on it with the waivers, I have I picked up so much Josh Dobbs this offseason, but I missed out on Keaton Mitchell. I have I have absolutely no shares, and I'm feeling the FOMO right now because it's uh, it seems pretty exciting for him. What do you what do you think is in store for him this Thursday night? Because John Harbaugh said he might be more involved. Yeah, I think in store for him maybe maybe he'll have a ten or eleven touches, maybe like nine carries, two receptions. Um, but basically, I think he's going to take Justice Hill's lunch money and Justice Hill is going to be relegated to the bench. Um, I actually saw Justice Hill playing some special teams work on Sunday at the game, which, you know, hadn't seen that all year. And I think that that was partly due to Keaton Mitchell having his emergence um, after the game. I mean, multiple multiple reporters asked in different ways, John, why was Keaton Mitchell not more involved in the second half? And I think John, you know, kind of got the memo like, you know, okay, I need to like actually look at what was happening and review the film and see what this guy was doing. And he came back on Monday right away answering that Keaton Mitchell will be more involved in the game plan going forward. So yeah. I think that Gus Edwards is always going to retain his role. He'll be, you know, 14, 16 carries. He's going to get the goal line work. He's going to get the short yardage work. Keaton Mitchell is not a grinder. He's not a guy that, you know, if it's third and two, we're putting Keaton Mitchell on the field. He's the guy where it's, you know, first and 10, second and long. We're going to throw him a screen or give him a pitch. You want to get him in space. Because, I mean, when this guy's his first outing against the Seahawks, he had nine carries for, I think, 138 yards yeah. and nine missed tackles forced. Like this dude, he's slippery. He's electric. He's got juice. He's got speed. I mean, he's had two breakaway touchdowns where he just runs past everybody. He yeah. just he looks really explosive. You said a lot of words that basically mean the same thing. But yeah, small guy run fast. Yes. Um, He's five nine, 179 pounds, sixth percentile BMI. So he's certainly not a power back, uh, but he's got a 99th percentile 40, um, fine college production, like 70th percentile dominator target share in college. Um, very efficient in college. So he was undrafted, but he's, he's definitely got some wheels and he's already shown it on the field. And, and this is why you got to be active on your waiver wire, like all season. Um, I dropped the ball on Keaton Mitchell, but if you picked him up, like you could pick him up for nothing, you know, he's already easily worth like a, like a early third round pick. Even in some spots, you could trade him for a second um, or you could get greedy. You could hold on and see what the next few weeks bring, but just picking up these, these pieces that become valuable, like it adds up over time. And, and when you can trade those players for picks and then you can hit on those picks, like it's exponential. The, the rate at which you can just create a powerhouse dynasty team, if you can be active and you can find these guys on the waiver wire. So I don't know for sure if he's going to end up being like a long-term piece or a guy you're going to want to start uh, on a weekly basis. But what he definitely is, is a, a valuable player that you got for nothing. Like Jaleel McLaughlin had a little bit of a run kind of like that. Um, yeah. And what you, and, and even if these guys get a little bit quiet, 
you know, like Jaleel McLaughlin hasn't really done a whole lot the last few weeks. You don't want to drop them because they already have a little bit of like name equity now and, and, and value. Um, so you can just kind of hold on. And then if they ever find themselves thrust into a starting role, like they're, they're going to have a lot of value, even if it's for like a spot start or something, there's going to be hype around it. So you, uh, you definitely want to try to find these players, just keep churning your roster. Uh, and when you do, you know, you've got options. You can, you can trade, you can wait and see, but either way it's, it's found money. Yeah. A lot of my most owned players in dynasty actually are like Keaton Mitchell, Amari DeMercado, Jaleel McLaughlin, um, Jalen Warren, Justice Hill, Rico Dowdle. Like these are all guys, like I don't have Keaton Mitchell, a lot of Keaton Mitchell because I'm a Ravens fan. I have a lot of Keaton Mitchell because I was picking up these guys off waivers, you know, all preseason. And once they like made a roster, if they were breathing running back on a roster, I picked them up. And I've been able to sell a lot of like De Mercado and Jaleel McLaughlin, especially for seconds where I package them with a fourth or, you know, a bench player and I can get a second round pick out of them. And the fact that it's every single year, you're going to get these running backs that find starting spots. They have a, you know, a 12 or 14 point game. People will trade you a second round pick for them. You just have to put in the work. <laughs> send out an offer yeah. to every team in the league and all the leagues you have them. That's literally what I did for a couple of days for once those guys popped off and you will profit second round picks out of them for free. Yeah. It's just, just gotta, just gotta grind a little bit. Yeah. For me, that guy was Jerome Ford. Um, yep. I got him in a bunch of leagues, like most of them off of waivers this off season. Jerome Ford barely did anything as a rookie, but kind of an interesting profile. He was still on the roster, just kind of kicking around Went ahead and picked him up. You know, dynasty benches are deep. You got a lot of spots there and you don't need to hold like random wide receiver fours for teams. Like those guys just don't really break out. Um, you want to be holding these running backs because they don't even have to actually break out for you to realize the value. They can just like theoretically break out or like seem like they have juice. Uh, and then yep. all of a sudden people want them because the, the position is just so scarce. So that's a good way to allocate your your roster bent uh, your roster space on your benches. Got to be active. Got to be quick. Um, and yeah, Keaton Mitchell. It's going to be exciting to see what he can do on Thursday. Hoping I can maybe pick up a share in Dynasty before that game, so I can uh, have a little piece of the action. Yeah, and like you said, we you know Jerome Ford had a you know interesting profile, and that's you know great and all. We want to target those guys first, but I mean, if base like I said, like if they are alive and on a roster and they're running back, I'm adding them off waivers. I don't want any of my leagues. If I have an empty bench spot, there should not be a running back available on waiver on an active team in my league. That's the way I play these. <laughs> they should be alive and on a roster. So nobody, just to be clear, no running backs that are alive and not on rosters, <clears throat> but also no running backs that are dead and on rosters. You don't roster those players. <laughs> I don't know if any of those players exist, but yeah, I don't roster any of them. Okay. Gotcha. 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 All right. So, Perfect. Well, we made it to the end here. Uh, kind of a shorter show for us, but to be honest with you, it, it, like a lot of the season is kind of settled at this point, and like we could spend thirty minutes just kind of overreacting to what each new week offers us. But we, we sort of have an idea of like who's who at this point, and yeah, we're gonna have some breakouts. We're gonna have some Keaton Mitchells that come out of the woodwork, but for the most part, it's like we're we're sort of in the home stretch here, um, and it's time to just kind of hunker down. If you're, if you're tanking, just keep doing what you're doing, get those points off your roster. And if you're competing, just kind of stay the course. You don't need to panic. You don't need to go trade for yet another, you know, veteran or whatever. Like 
just keep on riding the wave. Know that you probably won't win your league because that's not how probability works, but enjoy the ride and, uh, and don't like overcompensate, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's a good point. I've been, you know, like you said, kind of settled right now in dynasty. I've been looking at my contenders and saying like, okay, I still have a first round pick to spend if I want, but you want to be using it like as impactfully as you can. Like you have this value and you don't want to just make it to like, you don't want to use it, just add a player to your roster. You want to get the most value added for your team as possible. You want to wait until you either have an injury and then you say, okay, well, I need a piece of this position now yeah. or where, you know, it gets closer and where it's like, okay, it's only like one or two weeks till playoffs or, you know, whatever you want to do it, but just closer to playoffs. And you start looking at playoff schedules and you say, okay, well, this guy has three really plus matchups in the playoffs. Okay. I'll use my first on that. Like you just don't want to do it just to add de- add random depth. You want to do it to either yeah. circumvent an injury or target a guy that's going to score a lot of points in the playoffs. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It reminds me of one of my worst dynasty trades that I made. Probably, I think it was four, probably four years ago, maybe three years ago. I don't know. Um, I was very new in dynasty and I was trying to make the playoffs. I was like in the hunt, but I was dealing with some injuries. My line, my, my starting lineup was like a little bit beat up and I was like, all right, I got this first round pick. I need to go and turn that into points. And so I think I, I basically traded my first for Mike Williams and Melvin Gordon. Um, and this was like kind of in the, in the, the decline of Melvin Gordon. Like he, he wasn't, you know, old school Melvin Gordon. I think those two guys like, like Broncos, Melvin Gordon, those two guys, I think he was on the Broncos. Those two guys scored like, I don't know, 10 points per game each the rest of the year. Like they, they weren't even good. Um, I did not make the playoffs and I ended up giving up like the sixth or the fifth overall pick for a couple of like low end bench, like flex pieces. And I ended up having to rebuild the next year and it took longer because I had given up that value for basically no reason. Yep. So you don't want to make those types of panic trades. Did you see that tweet that was like, if you like, if you're trying to win, you shouldn't have any like picks on your roster or whatever. Yeah, that's just wrong. But (laughs) yeah, so basically what we're saying is the opposite of that. Um, you you want to stay viable in future seasons and you can't improve your odds of winning that much in one season. So it, there's nothing wrong with trading your picks like yeah. in certain situations. Yeah. But you shouldn't just go ahead and trade them like just because like you can't right. actually boost your odds that much further than like once you get a buy, you've, you've done your job. Um, and at that point, like you're not really going to make yourself any more likely to win. Yeah, once like the goal is a good team, but the ultimate goal is a good team and picks. You know, you want to win the championship and have a fir- your first round picks in the next few years. Now, like I was saying, if you can use that first round pick and get actual usable production out of it, that makes a noticeable difference in your chance to win a championship. That's when you use it. Yeah. If you're starting Jaleel McLaughlin in your RB2 spot and you can trade your first round pick and like Josh something. Jacobs or Saquon Barkley or something. Oh God, those guys are so gross, but yeah, yeah, I mean something like that, or, you know, maybe you can add a little bit and, and get like a, a little bit of a better running back. I don't know. Pollard. I don't even know. 
Uh, maybe maybe you could trade that pick. Maybe you could get like Camara at this point. Like that yeah. might be the better move. Um, he's older, obviously, but like he's scoring. He's actually scoring legitimate fantasy points that can make a difference for your team. Yeah, um, those guys are more hope it comes back around. Yeah, like that can make that can make sense for sure. But it has to be the right situation. Swift, so. you get Swift. Hmm. Yeah, DeAndre Swift. Yeah, he he's he's okay. He's he's scoring like RB two, kind of like higher end RB2, low end RB1, I guess right now, right? Like 14, yeah. 15 points per game. And that yeah. helps. That helps for sure. Um, you just you just want to make sure that it's making the most possible impact, like you said. And you only get one pick that you get to trade. So you want to make sure it's it's not just like the first available player that you can go and buy. Um, so yeah, we kind of rambled there at the end, but I, I think that I think that's a good point as well. Trade deadlines are coming up, so you don't want to make any hasty decisions with that. Just sort of let, the, let everything come to you. Um, and know that most of the hard work is done. If you have a good team, you're high in the standings, you've, you've done most of what you can really do to give yourself a chance to win. So, um, all right, well, this has been a good discussion. Always, always fun talking to you. Uh, I think we maybe figured a few things out about tight ends. I, I processed some of my Kyle Pitts trauma and I feel healthier for it. Chris, any final thoughts before we sign off for the day? Yeah, just buy Kyle Pitts. <sighs> Buy Kyle Pitts, I guess. Um, or Trey McBride or Greg Dulcich or any of the young up-and-coming tight ends that could potentially crack into that elite tier at some point. That, that is a, an investment you want to make. Um, I am Paul Patterson. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore DFF. You can follow Chris on Twitter at ChrisMiles1017. You can find our written work over at DynastyFootballFactory.com. And uh, you can see us over on the Dynasty Football Factory YouTube channel. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple and you want to see our beautiful faces, you can head on over there. Wherever you are listening to this, if there's anything you can do to support the show, it really helps us out. You know, five stars, uh, follow the show, leave a comment, any of that. Really, really appreciate it. Um, but otherwise, just sit tight, enjoy the weekend of football, and uh, I will be back with you next week. Mm -hmm.